Well, our pastor has referred to Simeon and Anna, who are very much part of the passage this morning. And if you want to follow it in the Church Bibles, it's on page 1028, and it's Luke 2, 21 to verse 40. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God and our Heavenly Father, we marvel at your glory, especially now at this time of year when we see your glory in the person and the work of our Lord Jesus. We long to see your majesty and to know you better and to know you more fully and to have a good and healthy relationship with you. Father, please forgive us when our view of you is small and our view of ourselves is puffed up. Help us to see ourselves in the right place. Lord, we're tired of living mundane lives, living for ourselves and pleasing ourselves. We want to live in the excitement of knowing you and understanding uh, who you are and all that you've done for us. 
Father, we thank you for the monetary gifts uh, this month. We thank you that you're the great provider, that you care for us, that you love us, and that you give us all we need. Lord, accept our gifts as an act of worship. We long to worship you with all of our lives. And we offer this to you as well. And we ask that you would uh, give those working with it wisdom to use the money wisely for the extension of your kingdom. Thank you that you are our great provider. And Lord, as we stand at the end of another year, we look forward to the next year. We thank you that you are the giver of new life, that you give us a new start, a fresh start, that our old is gone and the new is here, that you have renewed our hearts. And as we look to the new year, we can think of the new creation, when everything will be new, when all the pain and sorrow and hurt of this world will be gone. And we can enjoy living with you forever. As we start our work and our studies in the new year, help us to be salt and light, that we could be missionaries on the front line, that we can take the gospel out to those around us. Father, we thank you that uh, all our missionary friends connected with this church uh, were able to uh, spend time with friends and family. Uh, We thank you for those that could spend time with us, that we could uh, encourage them and pray for them, that they could enjoy just rest from the work that they're doing. Lord, help them as as many of them think about their futures and where it is that you want them that you would give them wisdom and guidance into what it is you would have them do and where it is you want them to be. Father, we think of uh, Genevieve in India, and we ask that you would please be with her, that you'd help her as she deals with uh, uh, being homesick. We ask that you provide her with a group of friends and a companion to uh, spend time with, to encourage her. Lord, we ask that uh, the church that she's in would be able to uh, strengthen and encourage her. And even though she can't understand the, the language and the sermons, that you would speak to her uh, through the people around her, that you would give her great encouragement and strengthen her in her faith. Father, we thank you as well for our students, that they could spend Christmas with us. We thank you for all the hard work that they're doing in their studies and ask that this time that they've spent with friends and family could be restful, that they'd be recharged and ready to go at it again. And Lord, we ask especially for those of our students who are in their last year that you would give them clarity on where it is you want them to be next year and what it is that you want them to do. Uh, Give them wisdom and clarity. Lord, be with us in the rest of the service. Thank you for your word. And uh, we pray that as as we hear your word, we'd be challenged and changed. Amen. Well, as we asked earlier with the children, was uh, Christmas... um worth waiting for. For many people, it will have no lasting impact. Decorations will be packed away again. Tree will be chopped up and put in the brown bin or put on the bonfire, whatever you do with your tree. People go back to school or work, maybe a few pounds heavier from all the turkey and Christmas put, with a few more things they can enjoy. But was it worth it? Well, the things that are most worth it are are those that will have a lasting impact on us, not just for a few days or weeks, as the novelty of looking at the man on the moon through your new telescope wears off, but for the rest of eternity. 
passage we're looking at this morning from, from Luke 2, which describes the events after the birth of Jesus, is about waiting for the promises to be revealed. Two people who had waited and longed for something for all of their lives. And finally, it was revealed to them. But it wasn't just revealed to them, it was revealed to all people. And it wasn't a thing that was revealed, but a person. And as he was revealed, he in turn revealed the true person inside each of us. Because our response to Jesus reveals our inner thoughts and desires. It reveals whether Christmas is just a chance to exchange presents, uh, eat a lot and watch uh, the Downton Abbey finale, or whether it's something that gives our life meaning. Well, we'll come on to what... Um, Our response to Jesus reveals about ourselves later. But let's look first at how the birth of Jesus reveals the fulfillment of God's promises. Because the first thing that Jesus fulfilled was the the Old Testament law. It's interesting that in Luke's account here, he goes to some lengths to demonstrate how Mary and Joseph kept the requirements of the Old Testament law. It says that Jesus was... uh, Circumcised on the, the eighth day, if you look in verse 21. But then there are three other ceremonies they follow in accordance with the law. The purification of a woman 40 days after the birth of a child. The presentation of the firstborn to God. And the dedication of the firstborn into the Lord's service. Now it's easy to skip over these verses because the Bible tells us that well, Jesus has fulfilled the law. We're no longer subject to these requirements. But the Bible also tells us that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. Which means that there may be some important principles here that these laws teach us about the character of God and our relationship with him. What I think they teach us, for example, is the importance of how we present ourselves to God. Preparing our hearts, our minds, our bodies before we draw close to God. Which means confessing our sins. Means coming with an attitude of reverence and humility, ready to listen to God, ready to hear Him speak to us. If we come with our minds full of clutter, full of the things of this world, we won't be able to honour God with our worship, with our whole lives. Also, it teaches us about the importance of presenting our children to God. And then, if you parents here will. Um, have presented your children to God at some point when they were much younger, giving thanks to God for the gift of children, promising to bring them up in in God's ways, and praying that in time they would receive his grace and use the gift that God's given given them for his service. But although these uh, laws may teach us important principles about God, in what way is Jesus fulfilling the law? Well, the Old Testament law, the, the Old Covenant, was a, a temporary arrangement by which the people could be made acceptable to God. But the New Covenant that came with Jesus was a permanent arrangement by which people could become acceptable to God forever. Because the death of Jesus on our behalf was sufficient to deal with all the sins for all time. Jesus is the Messiah, he's the King the one who God's people have been waiting for. And he was the one who would make that happen. 
But before we come on to, to him, um, let's take a moment just to look at the two people who are chosen to receive this new king. First was Simeon. Have a look at how Simeon is described in verse 25. He's somebody who's righteous. He's devout. And it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. And then there was the prophetess, Anna, describes as, uh, in verse 36, as the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Both faithful servants of God who kept the requirements of the law as best they could throughout their lives. Is it significant they were both old? Well, probably because just as their lives were coming to an end, so this was also the end of the previous era of the law and the prophets. But this wasn't something they were sad about. They'd been waiting all their lives for this point. They were witnessing the start of a new era, the fulfillment of the law through the arrival of a new king. So if the first promise to be revealed was the fulfillment of the law, the second promise to be revealed was that Jesus was the promised king. If you flick over a page to um, to, uh, chapter 4, verse uh, 14... There you see Jesus um, now as a man starting his ministry. He goes to, to Nazareth, goes into the synagogue. In verse 17, he opens the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, a passage that pointed to the, the coming Messiah. And the first words he said were, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, the Messiah who was uh, prophesied That is me. I have come. I am the Messiah. But turning back to as a baby, this day when Mary um, Mary and Joseph brought the baby into the temple, Simeon and Anna already knew that here was the 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 prophesied Messiah. Simeon had been promised by the Holy Spirit, uh, the source of all revelation, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, it says. And this is the day on which that promise will be fulfilled. The Holy Spirit prompts him to go into the temple just at that specific time. And as Simeon takes the child in his arms, the Holy Spirit must have made it clear to him that this was the Christ, the one he'd been waiting for all his life. And so it says there in verse 8, he took him in his arms, praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. So the Holy Spirit was very much at work in this episode, ensuring everything would happen just as it had been promised. Just as he also ensured that Anna, in verse 38, came up to them at that very moment. The Holy Spirit confirmed his promise to Simeon, and in doing so showed to Israel that the promises that had been made to them were coming true in this baby. Now, the specific promise it says that Simeon was waiting for in verse 25 was the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel. What does that mean, a consolation of Israel? I think when we think of consolation, we think maybe of, um, uh, well, maybe I do, game show 
prizes when you lose. You're given a little consolation prize to make you feel a little bit better. Do you remember some of these from some uh, game shows from the past? A blankety bank, checkbook and pen. Whoopee. Dusty bin. Generation game. A blockbusters dictionary. Consolation prizes. Consolation is about comfort. But here it's quite different. And to understand this meaning, let's just flick briefly back to Isaiah chapter to 40, to a prophecy from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, if you've got a church Bible, it's on page 724. And this is what it says, verse 1 of chapter 40 of Isaiah. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. People of Israel were called to be God's holy people, to reflect his character as they obeyed his law, but they they failed. How could they avoid the judgment that was waiting for them? How can we avoid that judgment? The answer is that that Israel's sin needed to be paid for. And when that happened, she would be able to find comfort and consolation. And with the arrival of the Messiah, the consolation of Israel was about to happen. Jesus would be the one who would pay the price for the sin of Israel, who would pay the price for our sin consolation of Israel was something that Simeon was looking for and that we can all look for, we can all find in Jesus, the fact that our sins have been dealt with, God's anger has been turned aside and we can experience his love for us in our weakness God has come to heal and to restore well if consolation is one aspect of Jesus' work what Anna was looking forward to was slightly different have a look at verse 38 says they're coming up to them at that very moment she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem so if consolation conveys the idea of spiritual healing restoration from past mistakes from pain redemption is a freedom from powers that would uh, continue to drag us away from our new king back to our old master Both of these these words, consolation, redemption, are aspects of what it means to be saved. And when Simeon picks up a baby, he doesn't say, ah, isn't he cute? We might have done, we don't know, but, um, but the words recorded here are much more profound. What he says in verse 30, And my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. In this little baby, Simeon has seen God's salvation, their rescue from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin. And it's not just for Israel, it's for all people, all nations. And ever since God's first promise to Abraham, the people of Israel were chosen to be the ones through whom God's salvation would reach to all nations, to the whole world. And we live at a time when the gospel has gone out to all nations. It's still going out. 
That's still part of our vision as a church to, to enable gospel work to spread throughout this country, to spread throughout the world. Now the trouble is that not everyone welcomes good news. It provokes different reactions. And so we come on to the second main point, that the birth of Jesus reveals the desires of our hearts. The birth of Jesus reveals the desires of our hearts. You may wonder, why of all God's people should he choose Simeon and Anna to be the first to see Jesus, to see his salvation? Is it not the fact that they yearn, they long to see the Messiah? Simeon had been waiting for the consolation of Israel his whole life. Anna had never left the temple, it says, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. When is it that we're called to fast and pray? Isn't it when we long for something so desperately so that our physical hunger reflects our spiritual hunger? Anna had a hunger for the Lord's coming. And that was more important than anything else in her life. She was a young widow, but she she chose not to to remarry. She put aside her physical and emotional needs and devoted the rest of her life to praying for the arrival of the Messiah. And before they both died, God gave them a glimpse of what they both longed to see. But not everyone welcomed the arrival of Jesus. Look what Simeon says to Mary, verse 34. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There would be those who would speak against Jesus who would not accept that he was the Messiah. Why, you may ask, because... He would reveal their their pride, their hypocrisy. He would challenge their authority. And they would respond by trying to get rid of him. The sword that would pierce Mary's soul would be this pain of seeing her innocent son rejected, unjustly treated, and killed on a cross. The way people would respond to Jesus would reveal their reaction to God. You could not reject Jesus and claim to be a follower of God because Jesus was God. And what is being revealed in Jesus is whether a person has a heart humble enough to trust him alone for their salvation. Or whether a person is proud and needs to be brought low. How is the heart prepared to receive Jesus? Well, through a longing for consolation and redemption, a longing for the salvation that Jesus brings. The kingdom of Jesus is here. You can be a part of it. Every one of us can be a part of it. I wonder whether God is preparing you to be a part of it if he hasn't already, if you're not yet a part of it. God prepares Simeon to receive Christ by giving him a desire to wait for the consolation of Israel. He prepared Anna to receive Christ by making her look forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Nothing else brought them satisfaction. And if you already find it difficult to find satisfaction in what this world has to offer, maybe that God is preparing you to find his redemption and salvation. What about if we have received, if we received that good news of Jesus Christ, 
that we know what it means to be saved? How do we keep going? What is it that keeps us going? Because we shouldn't pretend that the Christian life will be easy. Jesus said himself, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. As Christians, we will experience from time to time hostility, ridicule, prejudice. There may be times of uh, doubt, times when Christian service is hard work, times of tragedy, where you may question, where is God in all this? What is it that made Anna worship night and day, fasting and praying? What is it that kept her and Simeon going when they were past their best, probably mentally and physically? There was a passionate desire to see the fulfillment of the promise that the new king, the new saviour, would come. Simeon and Anna would not be diverted from their task until they finished it. That was to fast and pray for the coming of the Messiah. In human terms, there was nothing really impressive about their ministry, was there? Um, you know, if they'd been invited to speak at a conference um, and you were, introduced, you were to introduce them, how would you uh, do that? What would you say about them? Well, it's my great pleasure to introduce Anna, who none of you will know, who's not written any books, not planted any churches, not actually done any speaking, but she has dedicated her life to worship, fasting, and prayer. That is impressive, isn't it? We know the rest of the story after Simeon and Anna die. We know that Jesus would perform incredible miracles, he would heal the sick, he would bring the dead back to life, he would calm storms, he would teach with amazing authority. We know that he would die, that he would rise from the dead, that he would ascend to be at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and he would send his Holy Spirit to be our counsellor. And we know that he would make another promise as well. This is the promise that he made his disciples, this is the promise he makes to us as well. I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. What a great promise. He also promised that uh, we will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now, if we know what he did the first time, if we know um, how he made it possible for us to be forgiven, then how much more should we believe the promise that he will come again? And how much more glorious will that second coming be than the humble circumstances of the first? How much do we long for that day? How much do we long for that day when we will see Jesus come in all his glory? How much do we want to see Christ's kingdom here on earth? How often do we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? And if we long for it, if we do really want it to happen, are we ready for it? 
Because longing for something goes hand in hand with, with being ready for it, doesn't it? You can't long for Christmas to come and not be ready for it. If you hadn't done all your shopping, got all your food in, written all the cards, you don't want Christmas to come. You want it to be a little bit later to get, give you time to do all those things that you still need to get ready. If you're a student and uh, you're longing for that day when you finish your exams, if you haven't done all your revision before you sit your exams, you're not ready, are you? You can't long for it. You want it to come later. Praying for Jesus to come again is to make sure we are spiritually ready for him. That doesn't mean we'll ever get to a point where we are mature enough that we can say, well, now I've made it, now he can come. But it means living with a constant desire to see the world as it should be, under the reign of Jesus, wanting people to come under that reign so they may experience his blessings for themselves. It's to pray for a world in darkness, for people whose eternal destiny we care about. It means never wanting to stop becoming more and more like Jesus, to stop serving him, whatever age we may be. Simeon and Anna are a great encouragement, aren't they, for um, anyone here who may be feeling, um, actually, I'm not really much used to, to the church anymore. And my body's given up. I used to do an awful lot when I still could. But have you ever thought that actually some of your most productive years in spiritual service could actually be ahead of you after your most productive years of human effort? It's never too late to serve God. Are you going to allow God, are you going to to use the wisdom and maturity that God has given you over many years? Are you going to be a prayer warrior? We've got an excellent chance at the beginning of 2016 to, to come together as a, as a day of prayer as a church and pray that his will would be done through us in the year ahead. Through our example as individuals that as a church we can make a difference. We can give people a glimpse of Christ's kingdom. A kingdom that we long for. A kingdom that we want to be ready for. Let's have a moment of quiet and think about how will you dedicate yourself to building Christ's kingdom in 2016? Let's long for Christ to come again, long that we will be ready when he does.